I'm Josh Liston from On The Bubble Podcast, an oral history of television fandom, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at gunnageeknetwork.com. Welcome to episode 215 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we talk about ways you can mitigate your troubles when you make a major change in your setup. In this week's Better Podcasting Download, we chat about a Reddit article that we think is valuable for future podcasters. And finally, in this week's Better Pod Bag, we run a poll on how many episodes people keep in their RSS feeds. Lauren, start the show now. We should have an RSS feed dedicated to you. Welcome to Better Podcasting. With a combined history of over a thousand episodes, and starting as early as 2008, we are hobby podcasters through and through, just like you. That's why we are different. We minimize the money talk so that you can focus on building a better podcast. Here are the hosts for the show, Stephen John Drew and Stargate Pioneer. Welcome to an all-new episode of Better Podcasting. I am Stephen Jondra, and I am pleased to say that SB is here again this week. I am. We've hit the waves, the electronic waves of 2020 running, and we're just excited to be back. One of the things we talked about last week is that I have added a new piece of gear to my setup. Yes, I have. It is a Blue Yeti. It is a Blue Yeti Rumbler. No, not a Blue Yeti microphone. <laughs> Blue Yeti Rumbler. And I've been requested to do a short, quick gear review of my initial use, because I did start using it after we podcasted last week. And I will tell you, I will fill it full of hot coffee directly from the Keurig. I will put it in the car. I will drive to work, which is about anywhere from a 12 to 16 minute drive, depending on how fast I go, depending on how many lights I hit, that sort of thing. And I will get to work and it keeps the coffee too warm. So I will get to work and I still can't drink it, but yet, and then I put it down in the console and then I walk into work. I don't take it into work with me. I have my own coffee cups at work and just like, no, nah, I'll just leave it in the car and I'll get it later. Maybe it'll be warm when I get back out and I will go back out to the car. And this happened three times already. Go back out to the car and it is at best lukewarm. Now, this is at least eight and a half, nine hours later. So, yeah, the Blue Yeti does not work for a work day, although it probably worked for like a morning. You know, as you were talking about that, the astute audio listener might have heard the liquids within your Yeti making a little bit of noise as they swished around. We could, he we little, could hear little, that little sloshing sound little there, sloshing, yeah. but there, the fun there is fact, a little left. The fun yeah. fact is that still made less outside noise than a blue Yeti microphone. Oh, so you're saying <laughs> that a Blue Yeti microphone picks up a lot of exterior sound. Perhaps that is what I'm saying. But no, okay. if you would like a Blue Yeti of your own, we're pleased to say right now we're going to recommend that you go buy one. Uh, we're not having no contest. There's nothing. There's there's nothing. 20 ounce rumbler right yeah, here. Yeah, there 20 you go. Ounces. Just go to the store and uh, yeah, beware lots of knockoffs. Before we go into our featured topic, we want to encourage you. If you have a what's called a How I Say My Podcast story and you had something go wrong and you think that people would benefit from sending it to us and having us talk about it on the show, please feel free to send that to us if you'd like. And we'll see if we can make room for that in a future episode. You can email podcast at betterpodcasting.com. And uh, we also have a full video companion of this show. So we would encourage you to send a video clip because... We would love to play your face on this show because we all know the video viewers need a break from seeing our ugly mugs. Did you happen to get yourself some new gear over the last couple of months? You know, it was the holiday season. And even if you didn't get it gifted, maybe you caught something on sale. Have you? maybe been too afraid to hook it up for fear of ruining a good thing you're set up the way it is i've actually been there before i know steven has as well sometimes it's just we don't have the available time and sometimes we're like no i don't want to ruin anything before this next <laughs> show 
Maybe you're planning on getting some new gear in the future or making a change with your system that has you a little bit afraid like we were just talking about. Over the years, we've both had a variety of times where we've upgraded a critical part in our setup, emphasis on critical part of the setup, or just made a simple change where something could go wrong and sometimes things have gone wrong. And that's why we've had to come in and save our podcast, (laughs) just like the segment that we usually do at the top of the show. Now, when you're making a change with your setup that involves a critical part of your setup, there can be a critical problem if something goes wrong, but sometimes you can do things to help minimize that and you work out your audio path as you would just normal. So some things can be simple. Some things can be cumbersome. Today, we're going to share some of the ways that we've been able to help mitigate some of the risk and hopefully make it very simple for you to upgrade that gear. Let's kick it all off with some simpler ideas and concepts before we move into a couple more advanced things. The first thing that we want to say as you go and try to work out your new normal here is a concept we've talked about in various different avenues of podcasting. And it's three words. Make a plan. As you consider making these changes to your setup, it's a really good idea to take the time to plan out what exactly needs to happen as you change out those components. Consider things like what actions are you going to have to take? Do you have what you need to go through with those changes? For example, do you have the right audio cords that are needed? Or maybe it's as simple as do you have the right recording media for your new setup? A good example of that, the Zoom L12 takes a full-size SD card, while the Rodecaster Pro takes a micro SD card. That could possibly cause you a problem if you're switching from one to the other. Are there possibly drivers that you need to install to make said gear work? It's important to consider all of these variables so you don't end up going to make the change and realize that you've put the cart before the horse. Having a plan also helps because it's going to give you a bit of an idea of when you want to best execute on the idea you have in mind, because you can make sure that you've considered all these little variables that's going to be involved with the change and make sure you've got the time and the capacity to be able to properly implement that change. Let's talk a little bit more about what you just said there, Stephen, and that's time. Give yourself a reasonable amount of time to make the change. Don't make changes right before you record. It's a recipe for disaster. I would say even making the changes the day before you're going to record could be a recipe for disaster. Trust us. We've both learned this the hard way. There could be a lot of things that happen. Say you put in a new device and it works great. It goes right into a USB driver. Say it's an audio gear, whatever, and it works fine. But then what you don't realize is that USB driver is updating for whatever reason. And then the next day you come and try to use it and eh, it's not quite there. So yes, even the day before can screw you up and your device isn't working properly. Cameras, audio gear, tons of stuff can go wrong. Considering what will give you the most amount of time to troubleshoot when things go wrong you need to take a look at that. You need to take a look at how you can expand and take advantage of the time that you have in between recordings. But also consider other variables where you may need your equipment. For example, some people think it'd be best to make changes immediately after recording an episode. Well, what happens if you go to edit and you realize you need to re-record a section? Steven and I have both done that before. (laughs) It would be very unfortunate if your equipment was out of service. And before I go on, let's talk a little bit about re-recording a section that is possible. And I'll give you a great example. What I just had to do on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. was that I had not edited my bump to say copyright 2013 through 2020. It still said 2013 through 2019. So I slipped in an audio of me saying 2013 through 2020 instead. And that is an example of what you might have to do from time to time. It does happen. Every person's schedule and routine is different. So the ideal situation is unique for each person. You just have to take a look at what your schedule is between recordings and try to maximize the amount of time when you're making the change so you can go through and troubleshoot if you need to. 
So, Stephen, what's the next point? Well, the next point kind of ties into planning your ideal time, but it is really worth its own highlight. We recommend that you take the time to test out your new setup in a sort of offline or non-critical uh, timeline. Basically, doing a dry run with your new setup before it's actually showtime, recording time. Depending on what that change is, though, this could possibly be a dry run by yourself. This could possibly involve others. Here's an example. Whenever I've had to go and make a bit of a change to my setup, you know, like when I had my complete disaster last year with my gear and had to completely change how I feed in different Skype, Skype sessions into my whole main streaming process. I personally go and try things offline in an offline capacity, just me with what resources I have available before I go and bring in Chris or SP or our good friend Suncast to do a test with them. The idea being that I can go and I can make sure that my mix minuses are working fine using my own gear, even if it's a crummy laptop or just my phone, I can make sure all of the basic check marks are there. And then I can do a full scale test with them and making sure really to treat their time valuably and make sure we're not testing the basic issues. We're testing the true core components, the things that might happen like high resources because they're all using 1080 cameras, things like that. Uh, and sometimes it's just been a matter of me simply calling SP saying, hey, SP, do you have time for a five minute test? And that's all we need is a five minute test. So it really does vary depending on the change that's happened. Just want to back up a second. You said you had a major failure last year. Your computer failed. I've had not one, but two computers fail. And even though we have our mobile gear, we can rely back on in order to actually get a podcast out on time. It is very cumbersome. And in the case of losing our main computer, then you have to worry about the editing afterwards and it's never going to be the same. And you just feel like the show is not the same quality. Sometimes it's even better for the listener because they get to hear you excited and all pumped up because your adrenaline's working and stuff like <laughs> that. I've had in two mixers go bad on me over the years, and that is an issue when I have to replace those. And Steven, I don't think you've had an audio interface or a mixer go bad, right? It's just been the computer. Yeah, I haven't had one go bad go bad uh, immediately. Like I've had signs of it where I've been able to go and replace it, but not just been like out, it's gone. So that is the point that I'm trying to get across here. Don't wait until your gear goes completely cooked put because you might be out for an extended period of time. You're looking at trying to troubleshoot what exactly the problem is. You're trying to look at how much the shipping time or the shopping time, you know, to drive out to wherever you need to drive and pick up the gear that you need. And heck, you know, I watch a lot of sailing YouTube channels. Sometimes you can be where there's no gear to upgrade. So I would encourage you to pay attention to your gear. And if it's giving you troubles, you might <laughs> want to go ahead and do an early upgrade and perhaps be in between where you can upgrade your piece of hardware. And if it's not working for you, then you can go back to your old hardware for a little bit until you figure out how to use the new hardware. So I just wanted to mention that as long as we were talking about gear failures. That's a great point. Another way that you can sometimes make things a little bit easier as you switch out a critical piece of gear is being able to test this on some level without fully dismantling or affecting your current setup. Let's give you a bit of an example here. Let's say you're looking to use a new microphone. Currently, you've got yourself a wonderful Audio-Technica AT2005, but you're thinking about upgrading to an Electrovoice RE320 while also powering it via a DBX-286S preamplifier. As the DBX-286 is providing gain to that microphone, rather than how the H6 was providing gain to the microphone, you're likely going to have to change that input setting on your H6. By figuring out these settings on possibly another channel, if you have one free on the H6, you can experiment with it without completely changing the default settings on your H6. So if something goes wrong, you have a fallback, which was your existing AT2005, into your H6 or whatever you're using to record 
without actually having to worry about, oh, what gain did I have that on or trying to get that all redialed back in. It's just a nice way that you can maybe give it a bit of a try and a little bit of a test on another channel. This can be applicable to interfaces as well. If you have yourself an audio interface that has multiple inputs on it, it's really great if you can test that microphone out and that new signal chain through another channel. Of course, we should also talk a bit about when you're making changes beyond the just one thing. What happens if you're taking multiple things into account and making multiple changes? It could be a matter of you adding multiple pieces of equipment to your setup, or you could be just upgrading multiple things. For example, a lot of cables. And no matter what the case is, we'd highly suggest you add it in one at a time. We have personally had situations where we've changed multiple things and had a side effect. For example, da, 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 the dreaded sudden ground loop hum. Or worse yet. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast today where I was listening to a professional podcast and I just heard this annoying high pitch throughout the entire thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what's going on. A preamp's going bad, USB hub's going bad, something. And he doesn't know it. And it's driving me nuts. And I wish that I could just EQ it out of my car stereo and I couldn't. So anyway, switching just one thing at a time can be a good way to identify anything that might be causing an issue without having to go back and try to trace things item by item or cable by cable. It's just much easier to change one thing record, listen back, make sure everything's fine. If you have to actually process your track, process the track, make sure because some things like you are needing to add some gain and you do it in post-production. Sometimes that brings up faults in your setup and you want to make sure you identify those right after you make a change. And the last basic concept that we want to talk about right now is labeling or documenting your current setup. We highly recommend that before you start making any changes that you take the time to document what you currently have set up. If you're doing a major change, maybe it's a mixer uh, swap out, label all of your cords. It's a really good idea to make sure you've labeled them so you know what goes to what. But no matter what the case is, we do highly recommend that you actually take photos of your setup and your settings and write down whatever you need so that if you have to hit that real life undo button, put it back to how it was before, you have documentation that will help guide you through that. We've both had this happen on many occasions where we've had to do that. <clears throat> I have young kids. <clears throat> Some examples of what you might possibly want to document include a photo of your connections, after labeling them, of course, a wiring diagram so you know where things go, and possibly just photos or screenshots if you're using software of equipment setting. A good example of that is every time I reinstall Windows, because we all know that has to happen occasionally, uh, I go and I take screenshots of my sound card settings so that I have them documented on what their levels were in there. As well, sometimes I do go and I periodically take pictures of where my gain knobs are on my Zoom recorder, things like that. A lot of you who are watching on YouTube and you watch the intro to better podcasting, the new intro that Steven put together and you're looking at it and you're going, wow, these guys are OCD because they've labeled everything with label makers. It is not because we're OCD. It is not because we need everything labeled in order to use it. It is because when we are troubleshooting, we need to know exactly what button is doing what and what cable is going where because we have spent hours and days in some cases trying to piece back together something or trace down a problem. That is why we have everything labeled, not because it looks nice and pretty, although it does, I'll admit it. And it looks like we're organized, which we're not, but it looks like it is because of the troubleshooting. And before we head on to some of our more advanced ideas, if you didn't know this, we do stream this chat live at geeks.live, usually on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern. And we have a chat room where people can interact. And after we mentioned that point there about labeling, we have in the chat a fellow named Suncast who brought up a really good point as well, is if it's a long cable, make sure to label both ends if you can't see where it goes in the other end. Very valuable point because, again, then you know where, what goes where. Now let's move on to the category where we have some creative suggestions as you work 
through making changes to your setup. While many of these examples may not directly apply to you individually, we hope that the general concepts will give you a bit of a starting point when considering your specific circumstances. Let's start off with a simple concept, switching your microphone. Switching your microphone sounds like a really simple concept. However, there are many things that can go wrong with it. First of all, what if you find your gain isn't dialed in right? What if you find out that things are a bit clippy when you have the energy of recording, meaning you're kind of shouting? What if you find that you just don't sound that good on it after all? Maybe the EQ is bad. If you use a recording method that allows multiple recording inputs, see if there's a way that you can record using both microphones for at least the first show. This might involve an extra stand, extra cables, and of course, extra setup completely. However, if you have a mic on each side, at least you have your current microphone to fall back on as a backup recording. I've actually done this dual mic recording many times. The most recent one I can remember, it's probably not the last one, but it's the one I can remember is when I did an AT2005 and a Samsung Q2U in a hotel room because they were both travel mics and I just wanted to try them both out. So we actually had them both on the show. I was able to do that for testing purposes. However, if you are installing new equipment, this could be a great example of a backup that you have and you can go with the better recording at that point or start to dial in the new microphone. But what if you're looking at something a little bit more advanced than just simply switching out your microphone? What if you're putting a piece of equipment completely into that signal chain between your microphone and the end recording device? If there's any processing involved with that equipment, there's a chance that this could go horribly, horribly wrong. Let's give you another example. Let's say you're going back to that DBX-286S. You're finally putting that in. Essentially, a DBX-286S will manipulate your sound, meaning that there's options in there for compression, for EQ to a degree, gating, things like that. It's processing that sound. As such, with those variety of settings, there's a recipe for disaster if you don't dial that in. Maybe you sound like you're constantly uh, getting cut off because your gate's too hard or you sound super muddy because you're not EQing that right. Well, a DBX-286, there's a fun fact about that. There's actually what's called an insert on there. And if you use the, quote, half-click end quote method, look it up, it's a real thing. If you use the half click method, you can actually extract just the signal that is after it's getting the gain, but before all of that processing. This can be super helpful if you have a way to capture both the proper output of the DBX-286S as well as that insert signal, because at the end of it, you'll have one track that is not processed, one track that is processed. And if you did something really, really bad with that process, you have the raw audio essentially to fall back on. And fun fact, I've actually had to do this before with the DBX-286. I don't remember the exact example, but I was so happy I happened to have it that time. I remember you being very happy about that. By the way, the half-click method, I've searched that before and have had trouble finding out exactly what it is. However, lucky for you, I actually know of more searchability terms to get you in the right direction. Ray Ortega actually did a great video about the half-click method. It applies to a lot in audio processing, especially audio mixers when you're trying to have multiple paths do multiple things. So look it up sincerely. It will help you if you have the capability to do that. So another example that we'll go forth with right now is that some outboard gear has a built-in splitting method. For example, some compressors or equalizers have more than one output. Let's say you use some of this equipment and you're thinking of changing your audio mixer. If you have the space, maybe the audio rack available and the cables, you could take one connection to your current setup and take one to your new setup. This gives you redundancy while you get to know your new equipment if something goes wrong. I actually split my audio out of my Behringer 2600 all the time with my soundboard on Starling Tribune and Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. I do this as a routine basis. So yes, it is something that you can use to your advantage in your audio setups. But perhaps it's something like that, but a little bit simpler. Let's say, for example, you're looking to do a little bit of live streaming. As such, you're needing to pass that audio into your computer somehow if you're currently just using like a hardware recorder. 
Some people, when they're thinking about doing some live streaming, will look at buying some form of digital connector or interface to capture that signal. And sometimes those people will just go, well, I've got a way now to get good quality audio into my computer. Why don't I just use Audacity to record and just kind of remove that hardware recorder from the mix? But have you considered simply tailing the audio from that current hardware recorder over into your interface instead? For example, let's go back to the H6. Let's say you're using an H6 to record and you need to have that interface in order to be able to live stream. Well, you could pass from the headphones out or the line out on the H6 into that interface. That way you still have the fallback for the recorder and you also can do your live streaming. This is especially helpful for people who are looking to do dual projects because sometimes people are not live streaming their podcast, but they do live streaming in between their podcasts. So they're constantly switching cables from their hardware recorder over to that interface and back and forth every time they switch their function or their hobby for the, the week. Well, if you pass that over, it's the best of both worlds. And again, you're not doing where by unplugging and plugging in. The same sort of logic could apply to another situation. For example, let's say that you're currently using an Audio-Technica AT2005 microphone via the USB connection into it. And you're using Audacity to record that USB signal. But you've just purchased a hardware recorder. We've mentioned before, one of the things we like about the Audio-Technica AT2005, the Samson Q2U, and the uh, Audio-Technica ATR2100. You know, this list is just going to grow and grow and grow. And then we're going to have like a whole, like eight you things You the Knox, which is unobtainable now. <laughs> exactly. In this case, as you work to implement that hardware recorder, why not keep recording via USB to Audacity or whatever you're using, but also split that off by using that XLR connection to your hardware recorder? This is going to give you that fallback because presumably you know all about how your AT2005 or whatever microphone works with your Audacity signal, but you might not know the nuances of that hardware recorder. Eventually, you can go and drop that Audacity recording out or keep it going as a backup. But that's just a little example on how you can take a little bit of precautions to help make sure that that goes a bit smoother. For those that have seen our setup as we record in mobile setups, when we're in a hotel rooms, traveling, camping, whatever, that is how we record. We record via the XLR into our hardware recorders. I have a Travel Zoom H5 that I've been holding up for the audio or the video viewer on YouTube throughout this recording. And Steven does travel with his Zoom H5 now. And we also have to go USB from the microphone into our laptops usually in order to connect to the other person. So it's just how we normally do it. And it automatically does a backup because we're recording online somewhere and we're recording on the Zoom H5 or H6. So in summary, although there are endless examples that we could share and things we could brainstorm along the way, just of scenarios where you could help create a backup plan while you work through a major change, overall, it comes down to a few key points. Plan your change, give yourself enough time to change, test your change before properly using it, look at the features available and get creative to ensure you have a fallback plan as you work through the change and work in baby steps like baby Yoda steps where possibly you help minimize the chance of a complete disaster. Have you ever done a major change to your setup? What worked well for you? We would love to know that. What do you wish you have done? What are some lessons learned along the way that you had? Please let us know. You can get a hold of us on Twitter at BetterPod or through our email, podcast at betterpodcasting.com. This is the Better Podcasting Download. I was perusing Reddit again. I've had some time to go back to Reddit. I've had some wonderful interactions over the past week and a half there. And I ran into this article that was just benevolent of this podcaster that had been out there for a year. And he's like, you know what? I need to help people because I see these questions all the time. That's pretty common on the internet. It doesn't matter if you're on a subreddit, on a Facebook group, or on a Slack chat or whatever. These questions come up over and over again. So Jason Carpenter, that's his name. He goes by Basque5150 
on Reddit, and he does the Dead Rabbit Radio podcast. It's a daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. So, Bandrew, if you're listening, you might want to check this guy out. We cover the weirdest of the weird, and only the most obscure stories make the cut. Does it on a daily basis, Stephen? Daily. That's amazing to me. Anyway, his Reddit post had the title Tips for Futures Podcast Producers. I think he meant Tips for Future Podcast Producers, but I just in case I was missing something, I wanted to say the actual title Tips for Futures Podcast Producers. So he basically started out and said, it's January 2020. It's the new year. There's a lot of people that want to start podcasting. So I have some tips based on the most asked questions he sees on the subreddits and his source. He qualified himself. He said, I have a daily podcast, 366 episodes in. I think he's at 377 now and have been doing this for over a year. Not a true pro, but been figured out enough stuff that I can help out new podcasters. He had three main areas that he wanted to help out new podcasters. The first, Stephen, can you guess what it is? Uh, obviously, it was how can I be more like Stargate Pioneer? I believe that that is the number one question that podcasters ask over on Reddit. That might be the number one question that you ask all the time. <laughs> However, that is not the number one question that Jason thought that most Redditors make. Okay, the truth, uh, it's got to be about money. It was. It was, how do I make money? The answer was very intriguing to us, and I commend Jason for putting this out here. He said, you won't, or most likely you won't. Maybe you'll make some beer money after you're doing it, but don't go into this thinking you will make money. And that's just like Billy and Sierra said last episode as we led off with their tips from their YouTube sailing channel, Tula's Endless Summer. So the next question, what do you think the next question was, Stephen? Uh, I'm pretty sure that it was, how do I get listeners? Because I'm looking at the article right now. It is. How do I get <laughs> listeners? The answer was lots of hard work and luck. But there was a third question, which I thought was very ingenious of Jason to put together. And he said, OK, fine. But now, how do I get listeners thinking that there was like a secret to it? No, there's no secret. There's no secret. At all. We've been talking about this for a long, long time. We've been talking about this from promotion. We've been talking about this on how to grow your show. It's complicated and it's simple all at the same time. You know, make good content, get out there and promote. There's a very specific way to promote and then don't spam. And there's a couple of things that he said to answer that and be specific in your topic. You know, go into a niche basically is what he was saying. Uh, pick a topic, find a niche on the Internet, join those communities as well become friends with those communities and then casually mention that you have a podcast when it's appropriate and when it comes up, not, oh, you need to go listen to my podcast right now. You need to listen to my podcast. If you, even if you do that in groups and communities on the internet that allow you to promote, they might ban you because you're promoting in such a spammy fashion. Yeah, I think it's definitely worth a read. And if you want to check this out, there is, of course, a link at betterpodcasting.com slash 215. But the short link that we've set up is geeks.link slash future tips. And uh, definitely uh, check out the expanded answers. A lot of uh, good food for thought. We're big advocates of people posting real sort of raw and real ideas on what it was like to start their podcast endeavors, because we've said it before Sometimes it seems like all sunshine and roses, and that's just not the case. So thanks for uh, bringing this up, SP. I appreciate you finding this. I appreciate you being on Reddit, because as we all know, I was banned from Reddit. That's not true. Let's move on to the Better Pod back. We can make it true. This is where we here at Better Podcasting turn the show over to you as we run through some of your feedback. We call this segment Better Pod back. Well, today, we're going to start off with a poll that SP posted on Twitter this past week. SP asked the following. He said, how many episodes of your show do you keep available on your public RSS feed? Brackets, if it is more than 300 or all of them replied to this tweet. And the reason for that was because the options, again, Twitter being limited in options, was A, 1 to 10, B, 10 to 50, C, 50 to 100, 
or D, 100 to 300. Now, before we actually get to the poll, we'll just go ahead. And I started and I, I started by putting in the responses we were getting to our documents so we could talk about them today. And then I deleted them because there were so many people that said the same thing, which was all of them. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they wanted to say was definitely all of them. There's a lot of people who responded with that. Steven, I thought this was ingenious of you asking our audience what their down or what their RSS feeds were on here, what they had said it to here, because it was such a complex response for people. Some people might have just put in how many there were in their feed right now, not really understanding that the RSS can be expanded or limited to what you want. But there are reasons that people want to limit their RSS feed to 10 episodes, you know, the latest 10 episodes. A lot of times it's because more episodes are behind the paywall. Sometimes it's because the content starts to become irrelevant and they just don't want it out there. So there are those examples. Some people, and I want to ask your technical evaluation of this, think that having more than say 50 or a hundred episodes in their feed, they think that it slows down the RSS feed to the point where you might not get listeners. Steven, what would you say to those people? I don't have statistics, but I have been doing web stuff for a while. And, and I have seen RSS feeds and I've seen bloated RSS feeds. And I, I, I will 100% agree that the RSS feeds with more uh, episodes in them will definitely take longer to load. But the question is, is does it matter? Does it really matter with podcasting? Because people are sub subscribed and the process is what happening is uh, usually a podcatcher will go and set a certain predetermined time that it's checking for a new podcast and whatnot. So does it really matter? Because if it's taking a little while to check in the middle of the night, who cares how long it takes? Or on the flip side, uh, does it really matter? If your podcast listener is subscribed to a method that is doing that refreshing, like it's a place that's actually sucking down the file or sucking down the RSS and distributing it out through another, another method. So there's all sorts of questions that come with that. Personally, I wouldn't be too, too worried about that. However, like you said, there's other, other reasons why people might be worried about this. Uh, uh, one thing that I thought of that came to mind was We've talked about all of these random changes that Apple just goes in and willy-nilly makes. And some people, if it's bad enough, they may not want to go and historically change it. And they might just go, well, I'm going to start doing it from this point forward. And then after a little while, they go and they just close off their RSS feed so that Apple's not getting those ones that weren't tagged properly or whatever. So there's things like that. Example, me personally, one of the reasons why I do, do this myself on the official geek.com show uh, where it all stemmed from was we did a time where we had the GunnaGeek.com show was of explicit nature. So there was no censoring and things like that. Rather than go and re-edit that, I chose just to reduce the amount of episodes within the feed so that if somebody did go to it and they did see that it was not marked as explicit anymore, they would only get non-explicit episodes. Now, there's all sorts of other benefit or things that you have to consider when you're going from explicit to non-explicit and how you can't always remove that baggage, but uh, on a technical manner. But for me, that was more about listener appeal. I didn't want them going to that back feed and seeing that. One of the considerations that I see all the time is that Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. And yes, I still use iTunes. I know a lot of people are saying iTunes is dead. iTunes is on my computers. I use Windows. I still have iTunes. iTunes limits the amount of episodes as you can see in the RSS feed to around 300. I've heard 299. I've heard 301. It's around 300. So a lot of people wanted to actually make their RSS feed only show the latest 300 so that you didn't run into a problem with that. So that's one consideration. Another consideration could be on your end, like the bandwidth you are using through your self-hosted media on your server, your virtual server that you are using that can become cumbersome if you have too big a show. Like we just talked about Jason who has the daily podcast and he's over three, almost 400 episodes now. And the RSS feed has to be ballooning quite handily over the course of the past year. So if he's self-hosting his media and his RSS feed, that might be a bandwidth cap that he might run into. And 
you know, you'd want to limit that in order to not waste too much of the server bandwidth that you have. So that is a consideration, I would think, as well. However, we've talked about that a lot. We talked about hosting your own RSS and media on Better Podcasting episode 65. Go check that out if you want to hear all the pros and cons of that, as well as mitigation tips and tricks we have to that. Or use one of our recommended podcast media hosts like Podbean. They have no problems hosting a show with 300 or more episodes in their RSS feed. So I want to thank everybody that responded to Stephen's poll on this. I thought it was ingenious because it spurred a lot of interaction and you had a lot of variation on the responses, even though most of them were 100 to 300, you got a lot of actually communication back and forth. So bravo, Stephen, bravo. Just to make things very clear, this was SP roundabout complimenting himself because he made this poll and uh, the numbers were 68% for 100 to 300 uh, tied 13% for one to 10 and 10 to 50 and 4.5% for 50 to 100. But like I said, we had a lot of responses. We definitely had a ton of responses. And by the way, the reason you know this poll wasn't from me was because of the fact that it said one to 10, 10 to 50, 50 to 100 and 100 to 300. There's some overlap there. I don't make that mistake. Moving on to the rest of the feedback. That your we had. initials on it, buddy. <laughs> Moving on to the rest of the feedback we had, uh, or some of the other stuff that we had this week. Uh, over in our Discord chat at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord, we had Randy Walker ask a very interesting question. He said, why the separate chat during live? As I mentioned earlier in the show, we do stream the show live and we do have a separate chat on Geeks.Live. And I just wanted to expand a little bit on why that is. Well, first off, we have forever been an advocate that if you're going to do a live stream or you're going to send somebody routinely to somewhere, you should have a URL for that, that you can change the internal components or where that forwards. For us, we send people to a URL called geeks.live. That's an actual domain that heads on over to the Gunna Geek Live page. And in there, we have the video. We also have the chat room. There has been many, many times that that video and one time where that chat room has changed because of situations out of our control. Actually, there's been a few times with the chat room, but permanently it only changed once. And uh, an example of that was we used to use a central chat called uh, Chatwing, to which all of a sudden it just went away, just went away. And so we had to come up with another solution. Now, we could use our Discord server for that, but we have people who don't always Discord or they don't want to Discord or they've come to the Discord and they've chosen not to be in the Discord. We like to have a central chat room that a variety of different people from a variety of different walks of life can come in and chat during the live and not feel obligated to keep in this or feel like they have to register or things like that. This has been a big thing for me personally when I've been looking at chat rooms over the years is I've wanted to make sure people had a way that they could guest log in. They didn't have to register. They didn't have to have a Google account. They didn't have to have one specific type of account. Definitely didn't have to have a Facebook account because otherwise SP wouldn't be able to chat. So this is important for me. And we just recognize that sometimes people want to come chat with us while we stream the show live or other shows and they don't necessarily want to be in the Discord. That's not to say there won't possibly be a way to Discord in the future or that we've looked into possible ways for that. But at this moment, that's sort of why we have it. And also from the video side of things, if all of a sudden video go, the video service goes away, like when SP had to move on from Hangouts on Air, we can also swap that out. So that's sort of why we keep the live element contained. It's a great question. Yeah, that was a great question, Randy. Thank you very much for asking it. We also had a response from Newsreel on Discord, and he said, does SJ have a, quote, beardmance, unquote, with SP's beard? I think so. He's been jealous every time it comes out. He's very jealous of my beard. He's jealous of the fullness of how it looks, how easy it is to take care of versus his is, well, let's just say Canadian would be a good description of it. And I just say, I'm also jealous that it is, you know, every year that I've known you, you're becoming closer and closer to a Santa Claus beard. I'm just saying, you know, it's 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 getting that way. And, and I can say that as a guy that has been noticing yeah. how gray his, his top of his head has been going. 
you know? I I gotta admit, <laughs> I'm I'm older than you are, and in some point in the future, you're gonna have to find a new co-host because I'm not gonna remember to come in and turn on the recording equipment or how to turn it on or anything like that. I'm going to have to have an assistant just to say, come here, Mr. SP, sit down. It's time to talk to Steven. It's why I multi-track on my end so that I can use that. I see. We also had A.L. Morrill say my HER 2100 died today. Oh, that is a sad moment when you have a piece of gear go, especially something as critical as your mic. And we had a lot of support, including That Sucks from Waffles. Al Morrow came back and said, funeral will be later today. If any of you guys want to stop by, and SP posted a fantastic link to a Samson Q2U pointing out that it was on sale during that day. It wasn't the best sale I've ever seen on it, but hey, if your equipment dies and you need something else, get that sale. And the other thing that we did not, we were remiss yeah. in not mentioning this on the Discord server the atr 2100 has a lifetime warranty so al moral make sure you check in with audio technica about how to send that in for service and you might end up getting yourself a new atr 2100 i just thought of that actually as we were going through that that we didn't say that the only thing is like this is one of those situations where sp was alluding to earlier in the segment where gear dies suddenly on you and what do you do and if you can wait you can wait, but your microphone, you might not be able to wait. You might not have the time to wait for that process. But if you know you have the money there for Samsung Q2U or whatever, still pursue that warranty because what's better than one microphone? Two microphones, because if the Samsung Q2U has an issue, now you have the ATR2100 to fall back on. She does have a co-host who may or may not happen to be her husband. That's true. So, yeah, or, I'm just saying. or you can go and you can just put it on display. Not that anybody would ever display a microphone. Think of how dusty they get. I know. No kidding. And lastly, we had an interesting post that Damien, the DM, posted today, the day we're recording this on January 15th, 2020. He said, oh, really now? To which he linked a Reddit post, which then linked to an article that talked about how Spotify is allegedly the single biggest podcasting platform. I'm not sure the statistics bear this out yet. Yeah. However, we have no I've noticed because I pay attention to podcasting statistics at one point in time, Apple had 70 or 80% of all podcast consuming running through its platform. I admit that I realize that, but it's been steadily and rapidly declining. It's under 60% now it's starting to border on 50% and Spotify is growing worldwide. I think also People realize they can get podcasts through where they're already listening to music. Yep. They're like, oh, hey, podcasts are here. So they start listening to podcasts, whereas they wouldn't have gone to a podcasting app before, whether you're on Android or on iOS. And I think it is just something that is going to continue to occur more and more as people are going to be able to get podcasts through other means other than podcatchers. Now, personally, Stephen, you and I, we love our podcatchers because we can actually, you know, arrange our podcasts that we have. We can delete them. We can keep the ones that we want. We can subscribe to the ones we want. We don't have to subscribe to others. Maybe those options will be available through a third party that's not a podcatcher like Spotify in the future. But right now, it's not really the same fidelity of control that you have. So I still prefer podcatchers. But the general public, like my kids, they will probably never use a podcatcher. They will always use Pandora or Spotify or iHeartRadio or wherever they're listening to whatever they're listening to. If you want to check that out, head to betterpodcasting.com slash 215 and you can see the Reddit post there and the link to the article, but also read the Reddit feedback. It's kind of fun. And yeah, I think you nailed it. I think people are are starting to look in the areas that they already get music and things like that. And it'll be interesting to see where that trends. If you want to chat with us about this or other geeky stuff, head on over to the Discord server. That's betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. It's actually the Gonna Geek Discord server, but we've got our own little channels in there. We have the Better Podcasting channel. We have a Tech and Gear channel. We also have an SP Beard channel. So please, betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. SP, that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for today's show. But we should mention we're part of the Gunna Geek Network. The Gunna Geek Network has a bunch of amazing geeky content on it. 
And I'm going to take this opportunity right now to plug a show we've been plugging a lot lately. And I want to give a shout out right now to the Starling Tribune podcast. This is the podcast that SP does with Chris Farrell and Michelle Ely about the CW television show Arrow and some associated shows that come with that. It's almost going to wrap up. The podcast is going to wrap up because the source material Arrow is wrapping up. And I wanted to give a special shout out right now because we're in that final stretch, the final couple episodes of Arrow. And I think if you want to hear how SP handles the wrapping up of a podcast that has the source material wrapping up, at least the current one, you should uh, go take a listen to that. Maybe you'll learn some things about how SP and Michelle and Chris are all handling that over there. And even if you don't listen to Arrow, you can kind of hear the way that they're winding it down to a degree. So SP, I wanted to give that shout out and also say you should be proud of what you've done with that show. You uh, took that show from someone else and uh, changed up a whole bunch of things. And uh, in my opinion, made it a ton better, especially because you have limited the amount of times that I've guested on there. And the previous person had me on all the time. That was a disaster. What is great about this show? It's been going on since 2012, Arrow. Arrow was the first comic book show on TV of the modern era. And it's what gave us such great shows as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It led to the Netflix shows like The Defenders. And we're going to start getting on Disney Plus pretty soon from the Marvel side of the house. Well, on the DC side of the house, all their TV for mass consumption has really been on the CW network. And they have ballooned from one show, which started in 2012 with Arrow, to a host of shows, six, seven. It depends on how you want to count them. And they all had this mega crossover that lasted five episodes, just finished last night. Stephen and I both watched it live, although Stephen was delayed because, you know, he's three hours different than me. And we told him to, once Chris and I saw what was going on, we told him to stay off of all social media. So if you didn't hear from Stephen last night, he hated our advice and he stayed off social media until he saw the episode. And he said afterwards, he was so grateful that he heard from us that, yes, you want to watch it immediately and yes, stay off social media. But that's besides the point. There are only a couple episodes left of Arrow, which means there are only a couple episodes left of the Starling Tribune. The show has been going on since 2012. And it is going to be something to watch when we get to the final episode. And yes, watch is part of what we do over there. We stream the show live on YouTube, on the Guinea Geek YouTube channel, just like we do this show. And I I think you're going to see some emotions come out of all three of the hosts. I will tell you behind the scenes, we've had some heart to heart. And while it's been hard to let the show go, we all think it's time all good things come to an end. And we talked about that before on the show, and I will talk about it as the behind the scenes of how the last episode went after we record it here on Better Podcasting. So for episode 215 of Better Podcasting, I'm Stephen John Drew saying I've had a piece of podcast gear for a couple weeks now that I haven't mentioned. But if you watch the Gonna Geek show, you might know what that is. Tease, tease. I'm SP. We'll see you next week. And don't forget to pick up your Blue Yeti 20-ounce Rambler. Bye. Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of Better Podcasting. You can find the full back catalog of Better Podcasting at betterpodcasting.com. If you're into geeky podcasts, please check out the other podcasts on the Gunna Geek Network at gunnageeknetwork.com. This show was produced and edited by Stephen John Drew of Gunna Geek Productions. Voice work was done by L.W. Salinas. Thanks again for listening or watching, and we hope to see you again next week.